Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week at Hotel Analyst, we take a close look at the important stories that matter to the hotel analyst investment community, and we pour through those stories for you on this podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and my name is Chris Bowne. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and let's go by taking a look at our first story of interest this week and this is the fact that hotels are realizing that um, they can actually sell their rooms during the day not just overnight now some of this may be driven by the fact that they've got very little revenue coming this year and they've suddenly realized that there might be another opportunity to earn a bit more money or is it driven by the fact that uh, people who are locked down in various economies are getting bored of working from home and they actually want to go and work without the dog snapping at their heels uh, in, a, in a room nearby where they can actually sit and concentrate. We've been speaking to Accor, Melia and various other companies who are now actively promoting uh, rental by day rather than rental by night for their rooms. Um, and then we've also been speaking to um, one or two platforms that have been quietly promoting daily rental of hotel rooms for several years. Andrew, is this going to last or do we think it's a fad? Mm, I, I think it will last. I just think it's going to be very marginal in terms of its impact. I mean, just to take a step back um, and look at where this has come from, and it's that new acronym, which I um, always love an acronym, so WFH, Working From Home. Which has now um, become Working From Hotel, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Yeah. Um, so it, it's how profound is this shift in terms of, I mean, people have been talking about the death of the office market. And I mean, let's be clear, offices are 40% of commercial real estate. They're a huge, you know, there's four times the size of, of the, the leisure hotel side of commercial real estate. So, you know, massive. So any significant hit that in that area is, is, is going to be quite dramatic but I rather suspect it won't be anywhere near as dramatic as some of the hype is leading us to believe so um, I think broadly we, we've seen a big surge obviously in working from home um, the mm. WFH um, but it, it falls broadly into uh, th- three camps there's those that um, hate the office and never want to go back to an office there are those that hate WFH and can't wait to go back to the office and there are those who want to have um, an office but like the flexibility of a few days a week at home and I think it's the latter of those three which is where there's going to be some significant growth Um, I think those that never want to go into an office are probably like us Chris already Mm -hmm. (laughs) we we, you know hotel analyst itself actually is we've we've shut down our office we we did that during the um, pandemic actually and decided that we didn't need it anymore it was one of those cost savings we we needed to make but um we're a micro business that can get away with that i think for most businesses it's not a a viable option i would suggest i i, I think the challenge is it, it's one about liability in terms of um you know how exposed is a corporate going to be for for all of these these people working from home i mean during the pandemic people have been very laid back about it but the health and safety issues you know will start suddenly being looked at more seriously i think mm. and you know that legal position of liability employers have to be careful with in terms of how much money they have to spend in supporting those workers to be at home and all in the people i've talked to actually there's not a great deal in it from a, an employer perspective um especially if you start 
taking into account perhaps the lost productivity, the the loss in terms of creating a true um, corporate culture, uh, workplace culture. Um, so all of these challenges, I suspect, is we'll see that the office remains where it is. I did dig into some numbers actually, which mm. is some of our listeners might find interesting in terms of. Um, so in in during the height of the coronavirus in the UK when we had full on lockdown so this was during April so the office of national statistics said 46.6% so just under half of people in employment did some work at home so in other words a majority of people were still working at the workplace mm. so let's not get too carried away and that was at the height of the um pandemic and the ONS data shows that 86% of that half or just under half who were working at home 86 percent of them it was due to covid so in terms of you know how many people normally work at home so in 2019 um, out of the 32.6 million people in employment in the uk 1.7 million report mainly working from home Um, and less than 30 percent 8.7 million um, have worked from home at some point so it, it's by no means a common thing and I think that will that percentage that of people who have worked some for some time um, at home um, that's going to increase I suspect over this period and we will see that but I don't think it's going to have too dramatic an impact in terms of demand for offices um i think some interesting stuff i I also dug out some um, research that uh, jll did looking at the future of the office and um, you know what the kind of trends were and they sort of concluded which i agree with that the long-term future of the global cities like london um is is sound um but what we may see is uh sort of a series of satellite locations coming off London where people um, bomb into London once a week for the HQ meeting but thereafter work in hubs um, outside of London I suspect actually people won't work in hubs because um, the trouble is you know if you have a team there's probably going to have one in northwest London one in northeast London and one in southwest London and so there's not going to be a convenient hub for all of that team to get together so you're not going to see that um, so that, that that hope for a hub um, I, I, I don't particularly see to see um, going but I think there is a there's a long-term trend for more casual employment for for people like us who are employed on a you know journalists when I say us um, who are employed on a more casual basis most journalists these days don't go in you know unless you're working for the BBC you're typically working as a freelancer for a number of different em- employers those sort of people creatives like that um, um, working from home is going to you know those sort of people are increasing as a proportion of the overall um, percentage of, of people in in, in employment um, they're going to want these sort of um, offers in terms of co-working um, and indeed hotels will be able to tap into that but it, it's it, it's taken a step up um, after covid but i think it will take a step down as we get back into some sort of sense of normality but for uh, only those people people whose day-to-day work um, is enabled through 
through having a shared office um they're the only ones i think really uh, you know you've got to tap into for demand i think from a from a hotel perspective the main focus for this is going to be providing accommodation providing food and beverage offers um to people who are in these new clusters um which are emerging um outside of the big cities and in you know as the big cities themselves are sort of changed in terms of the nature of what's going on inside them there's going to be sort of shifting and movement around the sort of hospitality offers um, when necessary and i think that really is where hotels ought to focus on that stuff rather than on you know trying to be the second office for these people well and also i can't help thinking that um if we when we get when we get to the time when uh, room rates go up again and occupancy overnight occupancy improves then the last thing you want is people hanging around in your uh, in your rooms during the day when you want to get room ready for the night time guests uh, yeah no, i totally agree I, I i agree with that chris i think it's it's you know that that logistics piece i think you know i think one of the things I th- that should or ought to come out of this 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 period is improved efficiency mm-hmm. and the need for that improved efficiency and the need to actually have to digitalize the whole housekeeping piece and all of that so you can facilitate that and make that more effective but all the numbers i've ever seen with people who've tried this pre-pandemic it's been a very marginal thing indeed um and you know it, it, it's kind of along the lines of you know w- what they used to make out of say phones if you remember when they used to charge for phones mm-hmm. um so one or two percent on the uh, uh in terms of the total revenue but n- not much more than that and um, um it, it just helps make the lobby look a bit busier and make it make it feel a bit but hum hum a bit more with a few people kicking around so but i i, I struggle to see it being a massive um, business line for hotels next we're going to talk about uh, the steps that are being taken to get travel going again of course if we get travel going again then that's great news for hotels and so there's there's a number of uh, sort of initiatives at various levels um there are a number of of national governments looking to do kind of tit-for-tat deals with uh, other countries they they consider fairly coronavirus free uh, establishing air corridors um, and particularly kind of Australia and New Zealand are tentatively looking at this now they can see that um, they've they've kicked kicked the bug out of their territories um, there, there's also um, much more promising and and hopefully much more useful long term uh, several steps to try and arrange for some kind of testing regimes with a common uh, so that uh, it, it it doesn't then come down to national governments to just agree one to another oh it's okay to let people in from our your place to our place um so i was quite excited when i found out about this um let's hope it uh, goes a bit broader yeah no i think you're absolutely right Um, and what you just said there chris in terms of kicking the bug out i think that's the wrong way of looking at it i don't think we will be able to kick the bug out most experts are saying this is endemic now we're going to have to learn to live Mm -hmm. with it um and a critical way of learning to live with it from a travel perspective is is to have some sort of um, health passport that that has to be a, a, a solution to it so you know i think we've already talked about this in previous podcasts um that the vaccine vaccine 
vaccines when they arrive um, will not be a solution. Don't look to them to suddenly this is it'll all be over. You know, <laughs> we'll have a vaccine. It's all over. That's not how it's going to work. It's you know the efficacy of a vaccine is probably probably we don't know. But um, if you look at a typical flu vaccine, the best flu vaccines only work on fifty percent of people. So and this coronavirus, one would expect a similar thing with COVID. Um, so it's not going to be a solution. It'll be, but it's a part of the process of getting back to normal and learning how to live with it. If we have vaccines, testing is going to be critical. And one of the most um, reassuring things I've seen in the last uh, few months, actually, was the news that Heathrow is finally looking like it's going to have uh, uh, an hour testing regime mm. in place uh, for travellers. I mean, it's only with that sort of stuff are we actually going to be able to get people moving again and getting, you know, people flying between countries and hopefully flying between continents eventually as well. Um, this this sort of thing is critical. Now, you know, putting timelines on this is a, is a mugs game, but realistically, there's nothing much going to be happening this year um, and very unlikely early part of next year so you're, you're looking towards the end of 2021 and um, I do recall a publication not too far from our parish Chris <laughs> that predicted this back in March um, saying it was going to be the end of 2021 um, before there's anything like and um, normal um, if anything I think my in terms of what when we get back to what we were at I think it's been I'm personally seeing at it significantly beyond mm. that um you know uh i think in terms of mass gatherings in particular that's very very challenged i don't see much happening certainly next year it's very difficult to see uh, um, big conferences etc taking place um and um in in terms of the 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 business travel piece i think that'll only just be very gradually creeping up to 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 start again um in in the latter half of next year um and it's going to going to be a long climb long arduous climb out of this i think so it it it's a tough time but it, this you know this what what we're seeing now of are the kind of things we need to have and what was it called common pass yeah. wasn't it yeah the health passport yeah i mean if i think yeah, low, i think um, national the, governments have got to give up their pride and and sit down and and share a common standard you know stop insisting our our testing regimes better than yours and exactly. uh, you know exactly. um that's yeah i mean but we know how governments yeah. are. I mean, just look at the bonkers, bonkers visa regime. You know how you know how, how difficult that's. Well, been. and look, even and within so, the UK, look at how um, England, Scotland, and Welsh governments are battling with one another over over the right steps to take regarding COVID nineteen. Even parts of it. Yes. Yes. We'll go on to that in a moment. Okay. Right. right yes. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now, the next thing we're going to talk about is how consumer behaviour has changed uh, in terms of how um, hotels are booked and accommodation is is rented over the last uh, few months since the uh, coronavirus came upon us all. Um, and we're helped in this regard by some information that came out from uh, Intercontinental Hotels recently that shared some data on how they've seen um, things change over the last few months. Uh, in in um, Europe and in America, um, notably hotel bookings taking place much much nearer the actual travel time, um, and uh, of course also seeing the impact of effectively the kind of the staycation market change, which has has been abroad at within every every national market pretty much with the travel lockdowns, um, consumers have been forced to take domestic. 
um, leisure breaks and uh, so the numbers have, have moved around quite quickly um, and also had a word with um, uh, James Bland at BVA BDRC who has been busy researching what's been going on in the market and um, he had some interesting things to say on how kind of the staycation growth has um, uh, has has offset the loss of international business uh, in different markets. So um, the, the problem with the whole staycation piece, it, it still remains seasonal mm-hmm. demand. So for, from the, you know in terms of profitability from the big bigger chains, they're not going to get too excited about that. Um, it was interesting in this last week, Whitbread made a big song and dance about opening three new hotels in three of Britain's national national mm. parks um and clearly you know yes they're emphasizing this but i i think it's more a case of them infilling their system i mean premier inn and travel lodge um have been opening in seaside towns for a number of years and i think that that they've done all the urban areas in a way um which were the, m- the most lucrative in normal times um and um so that therefore shifted on to where there was other bits of more incremental demand um that they will remain challenged though because of the best will in the world you know you're not going to have that many people wanting to staycation in Blackpool in the winter um, so <laughs> it, it, it's difficult and, um, um, and and I suspect that as we well I know as we come out of this and we again get the planes flying people will be jumping I mean, we saw that in the summer I mean look how ready people were incredible I felt that um, how ready they were to to go to Spain and France um, despite the ongoing yes, pandemic. Yes, they're just they're desperate um, to get to and, the med. And, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quiet and a bit of warmer weather, you know, even though we had great weather here in the UK in May and April and May. Um, I, I, and that's going to be a, a key motivator there and I think that's going to come back. I mean, that, you know, as uh, what was interesting is, is this how staycationing had declined and how inbound had boomed in the in the previous sort of decade or so up until the pandemic. Now, if we can hang on, you know, just a little bit hang on to some of that incremental um, staycationing, that will be great for the UK market if they can do that. But they, they're going to have to develop better product offers than they currently have. Um, and they have to do more in terms of the experiential tourism product, I think. Um, and we've got we've this great product in the UK. I mean, I go to Scotland every year up to Oban um, and it's, it's, it's fabulous. I mean, yes, the weather's rubbish and there's no getting it. I mean, I've had holidays up there where, you know, I've been up there for a week and not seen the sun. All well, but there's no, you know, there's no such thing as <laughs> but, bad weather, just the wrong sort of clothing. <laughs> Um, but you just accept that and but there's so much more to do i mean there's fabulous seafood you can go sea kayaking as you know it's it you know it's you know i like walking and there's great walking to be done up there bag a munro or two you know there's this there's incredible credible stuff to do and and it's just pitching it in the right way and 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 that will evolve and develop and 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 i think actually that those sort of pieces are precisely where consumers are heading they're heading away from the bucket and spade type thing so if you pitch it right we will be able to hang on to that if we get that and hopefully we'll have that and we will have the international tourists coming back in a significant way to have you know to to enjoy our our great um cultural assets here in the uk then i think you know that that's going to be good and i think that's true as well if we look across northern europe uh, i mean i think germany's got a great opportunity again to to sell itself to its own domestic 
Baltic markets, Scandinavia has the same thing because typically all Northern Europeans just jump on a plane and head south of the sunshine. So if we can just sort of sell ourselves to ourselves uh, a, a bit better, um, I, I think that will be good for, for the market overall. But again, I think um, it, we will revert to type um, if, in, in terms of the, the, the main markets. and what, how Well, and there's we hundreds gone. of Spanish hoteliers very keen for us to revert to type, I think. So... <laughs> now it's time for our five star and no star awards and this week I'm going to nominate the five star award to the the folk the team behind uh, IPSX it's a new uh, stock exchange it's been launched just now and it's uh, actually been designed to take single asset or or grouped property assets onto it it's going to be a very liquid exchange same as uh, you, you can just as easily buy or sell shares on the on the regular stock market you'll be able to buy or sell shares in the these property assets and um, the way it could work is for example if you own the Hilton in Park Lane and you'd like to release some cash out of it you could perhaps put a 30% float a 30% stake of it on uh, on the IPSX um, if you're Whitbread and you want to release some cash by doing a sale lease back of 15 premier inns then rather than having to find an institutional fund to sell them to and agree a complicated sale and lease back agreement you could just float a percentage of those assets or a percentage of a portfolio onto the IPSX and the shares could go up and down day to day and if you're feeling a bit flush you can buy some of your stake back so sounds a great uh, great move I'm wishing it every success and I'm sure it will be Mm. I, I think um, the th- thing that to me um, uh, where, where they're very much on the money is selling this this REIT investment as an alternative to bonds um, and I think um, given where what's happening in the bond market right now uh, I think there's going to be great appetite amongst investors because you know your typical portfolio is 60-40 split between equities and bonds um, that 40% in bonds well really they're so unattractive right now maybe half of that 40% ought to be in alternative assets like like real estate and I think IPSX is is one of the potential places that you know investors can stick their some of their portfolio and no star we want to talk about no star and oh, it's terrible you can't, you can't keep giving it to governments but but they, they, they just don't seem able to help themselves and we we just have a complete a fiasco going on at the moment with in terms of their approaches and everybody seems to be acknowledging like you know the 10 p.m curfews do absolutely nothing and why are we keeping them why are we having a 10 p.m you know we kick everybody out onto the streets at the same time and it just kills any attempt at social distancing and you just it's just a great for a street uh, party. opportunity for the virus <laughs> to spread yeah well exactly and it's just bonkers and and you know why are we bothering you know with that 10 p.m curfew it's madness i mean i think some of the hardcore um sort of round heads and cavaliers isn't it the round head puritans they want a 6 p.m curfew now oh my goodness no please um please stop um and 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 then you have this awful standoff between as you've already mentioned the national governments in terms of you know wales has now gone into the, 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 the thing the toughest mm. lockdown in europe um shutting everything it's just mad um in the republic of ireland it, it, they're almost as bad um and we, we, we're just going for this and, and there's no real evidence yet that this is necessary um 
but you know the departure i think we've got we, we are seeing a departure now um from the politicians and and scientists they're they're being split apart which i think is only good news because i think politicians are now going to have to start taking ownership for the economic disaster which is coming our way and they're going to have to start taking action to avoid that and i think they've they've finally realized this and they're having to ignore the scientists and saying look we're not going down this route or at least some of the scientists there's a bunch of scientists who are saying the other scientists <laughs> are, not, are not are not accurate so um but we've we're seeing this now split between the the science um the established science community shall we say and and the government um and governments are now actually taking a middle way as sort of trying to balance the economic interests with the health interests um and i, I suspect this is this will finally get us free of these interminable lockdowns i just hope that you know by by the new year it's finally you know this finally behind us and that we stick to sort of sensible social distancing measures and become more swedish um in terms of the approach but uh, but maybe that's taking me into dangerous territory which i never (laughs) like to go into it it reminds me a bit like brexit you just don't want to be on either side because you seem to get something thrown at you whichever side you take on it and i think with the lockdown piece you get something thrown well there you go we we have to go and find a different something different for next week no star award (laughs) yeah and on that note we wish you well and say bye for now